0: From deep inside your audio device of choice. Hey, guys. T- the, the two words I would, uh, if I had the power, the two words I would abolish from the spoken English language as heard on radio or television or podcasts. Hey, guys. Man. You know, I was, I, was, uh, I guess, imprinted at an early age, by um, the big, super popular rock and roll radio stations of my youth, one in particular, uh, which had you know it was like rock and roll was they yelled at you and everything, but there was a, a station break every half hour that just changed the change the class in terms of classy uh, class element of the operation, because it had a guy, yes, he was in echo, and he was kind of yelling, but it was, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the much more music. And it just impressed me that in the midst of all (laughs) the insults to our intelligence that were being thrown at us by that station, they took the time, and they cared enough to call us ladies and gentlemen, even though we were, you know, 18 and had pimples. I'm I'm just talking about the, the average of that audience. And so it it, uh, just seems, I don't know, insulting. Also, you know, by the way, it ungenders guys. Guys is now suddenly what used to be called guys and gals, but you can't call them gals, so everybody's a guy. But it's just, and you know, it's like you're watching a serious, supposedly, conversation on some TV uh, news show, and... uh, the anchor is referring to <laughs> to a couple of senators and a professor is, hey, guys. Thank you, guys. <laughs> it just seems that's locker room talk in my book. And I'm, I am writing my book, so but that won't be in there. Now, um, lest you think that I don't have a, a clear sense of what I don't know, I grew up in a, uh, this is a change of subject guys uh I grew up in a what well, what used to be called maybe still is a mixed neighborhood in uh, Los Angeles and uh, taught school in Compton and you know play basketball and so i'm I'm have some for a white guy some familiarity with uh black America uh such as such as it is and so I was aware that there was this holiday called Juneteenth but I have to admit, full disclosure, I didn't really know the story. And this week, of course, as the to prove that when it wants to, Congress can do things fast. Wow. Did you see how fast a new national holiday was declared? I mean, it was breathtaking. You know, it 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 was a good substitute for Justice for All Americans a holiday, but anyway, it's the least they could do, and uh, so the media was filled, were filled, with explanations of Juneteenth, and the the one that I saw most was uh, a army general, I believe he was a general, rode down to Texas, and uh, announced to uh, some folk, some black folk there that they were no longer slaves, and this was two years after the signing of the of the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. And uh, I kind of bought it until I read uh, two or three more serious pieces on the subject and realized what uh, the late legendary conservative radio broadcaster Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story, which is they knew down in Texas that the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed. That's not why that army general and his regiment, his complement of troops, don't know the exact size. No, they were all about 5'8". Why they came down there, that was not to inform the people in Texas of the existence of the Emancipation. It was to enforce it. They had the telegraph, they knew, but... There was a certain, shall we say, hesitancy down Texas way about actually complying. And uh, General General Granger and his troops were there to um, speed the compliance along a little bit. This is the same state whose governor, Governor Abbott, um, Lieutenant Governor Costello was not available for this. Governor Abbott, earlier this year, beginning of the year, I believe, Uh, suggested that Texas should actually consider seceding. And uh, that leads to the conclusion that a lot of things may change in this life, but not Texas. Hello, welcome to the show. From just about 20 minutes from Congo Square in New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, guys... The United Kingdom, Britain, has an information commissioner. That's a step in the right, right direction, maybe. She says she is deeply concerned that live facial recognition may be used inappropriately, excessively, or even recklessly. Elizabeth Dunham questioned what would happen if it was combined with social media and other big data. There is a high bar for LFR, live facial recognition, where we shop, socialize, or gather, she says. New guidance for companies and public organizations using the technology has also been published over there. In a blog post, Elizabeth Denham addressed the use of live facial recognition, saying it could be useful, allowing us to unlock our mobile phones or set up a bank account online. Always a good idea. Well, what could happen? But when people's faces were scanned and processed by algorithms in real time and in public places, the risks to privacy increase. Quote, we should be able to take our children to a leisure complex. (laughs) I guess they have those in Britain. A leisure complex. Well, they have a leisure complex. I have a leisure complex. Uh, Visit a shopping center or tour a city to see the sites without having our biometric data collected and analyzed with every step we take, unquote. The tech could create instant profiles of people to be used in serving personalized ads. Love the use of that verb. They serve us with those ads. They don't hammer us with them. (laughs) They don't uh, assault us with them. They serve us. I've I've served you this annoying piece of... uh, Or it could match shoppers' faces against against watch lists of known shoplifters. Well, that would help. In a separate commissioner's opinion, the uh, information commissioner's office, the ICO, revealed it's aware of proposals to use live facial recognition in billboards. Ads in public spaces might be able to tell how engaged a person was or estimate their age, ethnicity, sex. You could estimate their sex. And even clothing styles and brands in order to serve there's that word again: personalized content. Billboards, billboards might even remember faces, allowing companies to track individuals' visits across different locations. It's you; you get to see this again. Companies also need to be aware of the dangers of bias in racial in facial, sorry, recognition systems, and the risks of misidentification. Mis- it's well known by now that uh, facial recognition algorithms are more accurate with white faces. That is to say, their accuracy goes down. The darker the skin tone, you can look it up. The commissioner's opinion set standards for the use of the live facial recognition by companies and public bodies. Police use was addressed in an earlier document, which you're not allowed to see. No, I don't know. The new opinion revealed that out of six investigations into LFR systems, None of them that actually went live were fully compliant with data protection law. So they're consistent. All of the organizations chose to stop or not proceed with the use of the technology when they were busted by the information commissioner's office. So maybe we should have one. Nah. The Mayflower Autonomous Ship that set sail this week from the United Kingdom to the U.S., failed just three days into the journey, according to the British tech journal, The Register. It appears a mechanical fault occurred, something the Mayflower's artificial intelligence can't fix by itself. People who uh, are eager to track the computer-controlled human-less Mayflower's progress from the U.K. to the U.S. via its online dashboard, realized something was up when the live video stream from the ship was turned off. The official Twitter account for the vessel, yes, confirmed that its, quote, non-essential systems, unquote, have been temporarily powered down to conserve energy. With no one on board to fix it, the ship has been directed to slowly return to base. Uh, Sorry, slowly return to base, where it's hoped it can be repaired. Hoped. Hoped. Autonomous ship, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I'd suggest something about what's going to be on our streets real soon. And also in Britain, the Advertising Standards Authority has named and shamed four influencers. It said repeatedly failed to disclose when their Instagram posts were actually ads. That's according to the BBC. The four, Chloe Kahn, Jody Marsh, Lucy Macklenberg, and Chloe Ferry, two Chloes, it's the two Chloes, had previously been warned about breaking advertising rules, according to the Advertising Standards Authority. Are most influencers women? I asked that question because these all turn out to be women. It's part of its new policy, the Advertising Standards Authority, has a policy of listing repeat rule breakers on its website. Further sanctions will be considered if the problems continued. It's not difficult, says the head of the Advertising Standards Authority. Be upfront and clear when posts and stories are ads, unquote. The four will be named on the site for three months and subject to a period of enhanced monitoring spot checks. The guidance for influencers says, quote, you will also need to make sure it's clear when you're posting about your own products and services. But Jodie Marsh, one of the four, told the BBC using the nutritional products her business produced, was a part of her life she would naturally document on instagram they're basically saying i can't promote my own product i feel like i don't have freedom of speech unquote at least she didn't compare it to the holocaust con denied the rule breaking posts were ads i guess she didn't pay herself and told the bbc the advertising standards authority should have better communicated the regulations around advertising on instagram BBC has uh, also sought comment from the other named influencers. I'd love to hear what they have to say. The two Chloe's. The authority said it had asked all four prior to publishing their names to provide an assurance they would clearly label advertising posts. They either failed to provide that assurance in the first instance or subsequently reneged on it, they said. In March, they released its influencer monitoring report found that 122 UK-based influence accounts disclosed disclosed the advertising and posts only 35% of the time, on average. By the way, my wife and I have spent the last three months sleeping on the best math... Oh, no, sorry. Sorry about that. Really very sorry. Indeed. And... Now, ladies and gentlemen, all I have to do is push that button and it starts. Ain't that something?
1: Soft, listen to the war. We can listen to the war.
0: Yes, it's news of the warm won't you I know I will right here right now a new study of monsoon rainfall on the Indian subcontinent like they haven't had enough uh, problems lately over the past million years this study covers provides vital clues about how the monsoons will respond to climate change coming coming right up this is from Science Advances we'll hear a uh, Rebuttal from science retreats, and maybe next week, the study found that periodic changes in the intensity of monsoon rainfall over the past 900,000 years were associated with fluctuations in atmospheric CO2, continental ice volume, and moisture import from the southern hemisphere Indian Ocean. That's my favorite Southern Hemisphere Ocean, by the way. The findings bolster climate model predictions that rising CO2 and higher global temperatures will lead to stronger monsoon seasons. We show that over the last 900,000 years, higher CO2 levels, along with associated changes in ice volume. How does the ice do it? Volume and moisture transport were associated with more intense monsoon rainfall says the leader of the study. That tells us that CO2 levels and associated warming were major players in monsoon intensity in the past, which supports what the models predict. They don't, not, they don't just look good, they predict good about future monsoons, that rainfall will intensify with rising CO2 and warming temperature. The South Asian monsoon, in case you wondered, is arguably the single most powerful expression of Earth's hydroclimate with some locations getting several meters of rain each summer. Rains are vital to the region's agriculture and economy, but can also cause flooding, yeah, you think, and crop disruption in years when they're particularly heavy. Because the monsoons play such a large role in the lives of nearly 1.4 billion people, understanding how climate change may affect them, you might think is important. And you'd be right. California, on the other hand, has declared a state of emergency to address power System concerns parts of the U.S. Southwest reported dangerously high temperatures. An excessive heat warning is in place for much of Arizona and California and southern areas of Nevada and Utah. People are being told to stay in air-conditioned areas and out of the sun. Okay, everybody, out of the pool. Californians have also been urged to conserve energy during peak times. Temperatures uh, remaining between 100 and 110 till later today. This all is from the BBC. Governor, I don't know why they're covering California, for goodness sake. Governor Newsom said the state of emergency, which is in effect until, um, well, was in effect until Saturday, was to reduce the strain on the energy infrastructure and increase energy capacity. The uh, organization that controls most of the state's power grid asked people to set thermostats to 78 or higher Avoid using major appliances and unnecessary lights. In Death Valley, the thermometer at Furnace Creek, well why do you think they call it that? Marked one hundred thirty degrees on Thursday. That's a hot Thursday. Higher temperatures will felt San Francisco Bay Area, where several cities have set up cooling centers in Phoenix. Temperatures reached 118 on Thursday. Vegas reported 115. Denver, 100. 100, Just 100. A flat 100. But a mile high. About 50 million people were under excessive heat warnings and heat advisories across the southwest. The event, as you may know, is worsening. A mega drought that has dried up rivers and reservoirs. Scientists say West Coast U.S. states should expect more of these events. Heat waves are getting worse in the West because the soil is so dry. We could have two, uh, says a climate and fire scientist from the University of California, we could have two, three, four, five of these heat waves before the end of the summer, and he didn't stop counting before they stopped quoting him, I bet. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And um, now news of America's longest war. The Taliban are intensifying attacks across Afghanistan. The idea to gain more territory ahead of the uh, full withdrawal of U.S. and NATO troops. According to Deutsche Welle, German broadcast service, the militia, I'm sorry, the militant group, now controls vast swaths of land. Heavy fighting in many districts in recent weeks has inflicted heavy losses on both Taliban and government forces. More than 20 Afghan commandos were killed in one province on one day this week as they tried to regain control of one district that Taliban militants had seized 10 days earlier. The group's attempts to take over district capitals, big surprise, have resulted in civilian casualties. Many locals in these areas are fleeing for their lives to safe havens. This is what we've achieved, ladies and gentlemen, after 20 years of fighting over there. Khanabad in Afghanistan's northern Kunduz province fell to the Taliban last month. The militants were subsequently pushed back by government forces. Many other residents of the district are suffering due to the ongoing fighting between Taliban and government forces. Many shops in the district have been burned down. The, war, the warlike situation in Afghanistan comes just months after President Biden announced the complete withdrawal. Washington, which under the Trump administration signed a deal with the Taliban last year, is hoping that the militant group will engage in intra-Afghan talks and work with the government. Which, for most of this time since that deal was signed, they've refused to do. Afghan President Ghani has uh, repeatedly urged the Tam- Taliban to declare a countrywide ceasefire. However, that didn't happen. A Kabul based security expert told Deutsche Welle the U.S. Taliban agreement last year and the unconditional withdrawal of NATO troops have boosted the Taliban's morale. Taliban leaders know they can defeat the government in Kabul. Therefore, we've seen a surge in their attacks. Afghan security forces, according to the head of the provincial council in Lagman province, Afghan security forces are weakened because they no longer have NATO air support. They could have tried to get some during the last two decades. Despite claims by some Western officials that Afghan security forces are strong enough to deal with the challenges, the situation on the ground appears to be exactly the opposite. Afghan security forces are financially and militarily dependent on the U.S., says an Kabul-based security expert. Without that support, they will be in a tough spot. Both the Taliban and the uh, IS, remember them? I s has gained a foothold as well. Violence against civilians has spiked in Afghanistan in the past few months. Meanwhile, we are being told that there are uh seventeen or eighteen thousand Afghan people who fear that they will be killed if they are not somehow able to get the heck out of Afghanistan. These are the interpreters who have been helping the Americans for the past two decades. And uh, so far, no word of how they're going to get the heck out and where the heck they'll go. Guam is full up. That's how it looks from here. We'll hear how it looks from there moments from now on the show. Afghanistan Public Radio, where this year's tote bags are smaller. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, the city that always sleeps, <laughs> I'm Mahmoud.
2: And I'm Hamid. We're Schmick and Schmuck, the Left Behind Brothers. <laughs> Welcome to this edition of Karzai Talk. Today's program comes to you with the help of the Afghan Historical Society. In a couple of months, we are histories. <laughs> so, my younger brother, after 20 years of complaining about Americans being here, mm-hmm. we're about to start complaining about them not being here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that tells you something about Afghan mm-hmm. Or about Americans.
2: <laughs> <laughs> after all that Yankee cash sloshing around here for so long, mm-hmm. a person could be excused for wondering why we're not all rich.
0: Mm, maybe because... Unlike me, we don't
2: all own a Toyota dealership right next to the presidential palace. <laughs> <laughs> my brother is nothing if not a survivor. Right, all right, my best. The tel- the Tundras he's selling now have audio systems that only get the radio Taliban. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right, it was the loudest station anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, hello, you're on cars I
3: talk. Hello, I'm Pete. Long-time translator, first-time caller, maybe last-time caller. Pete, I'm
0: guessing that's not your real name?
3: Uh, No, uh, before I started helping the Americans, I was working in a Walmart call center. They gave me the name and uh, taught me to chat a little bit about baseball. Uh,
2: uh, Pete, I'm guessing you're not calling to discuss the upsurge in strikeouts?
3: (laughs) No, Hamid, I'm, I'm one of the thousands of translators who may be left behind when the American Army turkeys out. Uh,
2: don't you mean chickens out?
3: Yes, I'm sorry. I'm uh, great with the accent, not so good with the vocabulary. <laughs>
2: well, I'm sure President Khani has shared with you his plans for what what happens when the Americans leave.
3: Oh, yeah. He's moving to his country place in Guam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but what about his plans for all of you who helped the Americans so much? While they were here,
3: Mm -hmm. we've been told they won't need us as interpreters, where they're now being reassigned.
2: Oh? Where's that?
3: Anywhere else in the world. (laughs) Uh,
0: Maybe we should have acted more civilized. Uh, Meaning? Uh, You know, colonize someplace else and make them speak our language.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, So, Pete, do you have a question for us or did you just call to complain about your job?
3: (laughs) No, I was wondering, uh, with your connections, Mm -hmm. whether you know of a doctor who can uh, rewire my brain to take out the English. If the Taliban detain me, and start to uh, enhance my interrogation, I really need to make sure I scream in Pasho. Pete, if my younger brother knew people like that,
0: he'd still be president.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe an Iraqi interpreter who the Americans left behind in their war is listening on the Internet and could call in with some tips.
3: Oh, that would be great. Yeah. First we have to get on the internet <laughs> <laughs> ah, Thanks for the call Are we
2: going to banter amusingly between calls? i looted the script Better we should just take the next call uh, Hello, you run cars I talk Hello,
4: I'm uh, Tawab Long time pomegranate juice magnate uh,
0: First
1: time caller
0: Oh Tawab, hmm? I love your juice <laughs> And like my brother, I couldn't care less if it lived up to its health claims. Well, that
2: case, of course, was settled long after I left office.
4: No hard feelings. We uh, deducted the sign from our taxes.
2: That's what you call win-win. <laughs> <laughs> so what can we do for you,
1: Tawar?
4: Well, I was listening to your first caller. And it filled me with shame that we, Hans, can't do more to uh, help our own people who helped the Americans for two decades.
0: Well, some people think maybe the Americans should be helping them. They're the ones who got to be more easily understood.
2: Also, they're the ones with the planes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I ship a lot of uh, pomegranates overseas, mm-hmm. and they have to be trucked to the nearest port.
0: Well, that is a burden, but on the other hand, being a landlocked country means uh, those trees of yours don't have to be protected against saltwater damage.
4: No, no, I have a, a lot of trucks... Leaving the country every day, each one could probably have one interpreter concealed beneath the pomegranates. You would uh, smuggle out
2: interpreters with your fruit?
4: If it were a vegetable, no, no, we wouldn't. But the pomegranate is the fruit of freedom, is it? It just
0: feels right. And for the interpreters, it would feel better than being smuggled under a layer of watermelons.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. Well, Tawab, yes. if uh, Pete is still listening, mm-hmm. we'll have your contact information here at the abandoned television truck. Thank you. And uh, thanks for the call.
0: We had help today from the Concord Coalition, making flying over Afghanistan ever faster.
2: Legal services for Karzai talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Nukem.
0: I'm Hamid. And I'm Mahmoud. Join us again next time for another edition of cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan, public radio. And now news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole III, authorities have canceled all public viewing events in Japan to reduce the risk of coronavirus infections. The country is still struggling to speed up its inoculation efforts. The Tokyo governor said the city administration is canceling all public viewing events in the capital to prevent the risk of a surge. Quote, these are necessary measures to make the Tokyo Olympics a success, she told reporters. There had been six planned viewing sites across the capital. She said the sites will now be instead offered as vaccination centers. Olympic and Paralympic officials will finalize whether to allow domestic spectators inside game venues early this week. Andrew Zimbalist, an economist at Smith College in Massachusetts, who specializes in analyzing the business of sports, says the momentum to hold the games is being driven, first and foremost, by the outsized payoff for the IOC, starting with TV contracts worldwide and extending to top sponsorship deals. There's some insurance for cancellation, he told CBS, but basically you're looking at roughly $5 billion that's on the line. So that's the main thing that's driving this now, unquote. He noted the prospect of canceling the Olympics poses an existential threat to the IOC since its primary job is to stage the games. That's what makes the individuals on the executive council of the IOC significant, he says. that w- That's what makes Chief Thomas Bach significant. And so there is a momentum that tells them that this is what they have to do, unquote. Japan has sunk as much as $35 billion into staging the games, that's Zimbalist's calculation, making them the most expensive ever and hard to walk away from. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a sunk cost. As he put it, it would be very embarrassing to have spent $35 million and then have it all go poof, unquote. Even if Tokyo did want to back out of the games, legally it can't, according to Yoshihisa Hayakawa, an international law specialist, because the event is organized by the IOC. It's IOC's event, he says. He was not involved with negotiations surrounding the contract, but is familiar with its details. The Tokyo Metropolitan City government is kind of a facility providing service. The host city contracts have been described as one-sided, offering IOC the benefits of staging the Olympics while saddling host cities with the consequences. If Tokyo stepped away from the contract it signed in 2013, it is regarded as a default of contract obligation, potentially exposing Tokyo and ultimately the Japanese taxpayer to, quote, gigantic damages. Tokyo Olympics organizers face opposition from foreign journalists after saying they will be tracked by global positioning systems while in Japan as a way to control coronavirus risks. Movements by overseas journalists during their first 14 days on entering the, entering the country was strictly managed, according to broadcaster NHK. The International Federation of Journalists condemns the Olympic organizers' complete disregard for privacy privacy. Japanese officials this week announced the easing of the coronavirus state of emergency in Tokyo and six other areas starting next week. With new daily cases falling just as the country begins final prep for the Olympics. It's a movement and we all need one. Every day! There is more. Experts at a virus panel meeting gave their approval for government plans to downgrade the emergency in the areas. Daily cases have subsided. If another surge occurs and strains hospitals, quote, we will quickly take advantage, including strengthening of the uh, measures, said the Prime Minister. The country does not enforce hard lockdowns. Stay at home and other measures for the general population in Japan are only requests and are increasingly ignored. They're getting more American. And topping the entries of this week's news of the Olympic movement, ladies and gentlemen, comes uh, comes this: Olympic organizers have given condoms to athletes in Olympic villages since the late 1980s, as a way to raise awareness for HIV and AIDS. Now, organizers in Tokyo are asking athletes to accept the souvenir condoms and not use them because of COVID. Tokyo organizers are planning to distribute about 150,000 condoms at the Summer Games. According to a Reuters report, the condoms are another part of the Tokyo souvenir swag bags. The distribution of condoms is not for use at the athlete's village, but to have athletes take them back to their home countries to raise awareness of HIV and AIDS. That's according to Olympic organizers. There's still AIDS? The Tokyo Games got postponed exactly a year after the pandemic began sweeping the globe. Neither Tokyo nor Japan can pull the plugs, but they can control some things like athletes not using the souvenir condoms. They have also asked athletes to dine alone rather than cram into the 4,500 seat dining hall. That way they won't meet anybody, so they then don't have to be told not to use the condoms. News of the Olympic movement, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now the Apologies of the
5: Week. We're so sorry.
0: The British criminal justice system has failed rape victims. A major report released this week concludes that leads top officials to say they were, quote, deeply ashamed, unquote, vowing to implement reforms to ensure justice for victims of sexual violence. The Justice Secretary said victims of rape are being failed. He was joined in that statement by the Home Secretary, Pitti Patel, and Attorney General Michael Ellis. Since 2016, prosecutions have fallen by 62 percent, convictions by 47 percent, according to the report. And during that same time period, the number of reported rapes has almost doubled. There's a disconnect there. The reasons for the decline in prosecutions of rape are complex and wide-ranging, the government says. The government promised to overhaul the system. It will publish regular scorecards. And it set a goal of increasing the number of cases going through the courts. The report included an apology for the failure. On an episode of The View this week... That's a talk show on daytime American television. Meghan McCain was ripping into uh, Joe Biden's post-summit conference press conference, saying the president's angry response to CNN's Caitlin Collins would have been widely condemned by the press had the same response come from his predecessor. Whoopi Goldberg began to counter that Biden made a very un-Trump-like apology within A minute or two of his eruption, McCain interrupted by saying, With all due respect, I don't care if he's apologizing. Unquote. That doesn't sound like a lot of due respect. Goldberg, visibly perturbed by the interruption, responded, I don't care that you don't care, to which McCain shot back, Well, I don't care that you don't care, whoopee, so we're even. Well, good, Megan, snapped Goldberg. Then you can be how you always are. McCain responded, You can be how you always are. The show then went to a commercial break, because how do you top that? After, when they came back from the commercial break, Goldberg apologized for being rude, and McCain did the same. I want to apologize because I was rude, Goldberg said. I didn't need what I need to say what I said, and I apologize because that's not the way I want to behave at work. Well, I apologize too, Whoopi, McCain said. Cool, responded Goldberg. I got to watch that show more often. The Atlanta Realtors Association issued its first ever apology in its 111 year history. It apologized to association members and the communities they serve for the association's history of discriminatory practices. So it did happen. In a video on the association's Facebook page and a letter posted to its website, Cynthia Lippert, The current president narrated a detailed apology alongside former and current leaders of the association. Quote, we've become painfully aware of the historical discriminatory laws of the local, state, and federal governments as well as the historical policies and practices of our national, state, and local realtor associations that were on the wrong side of justice, perpetuating racism and creating barriers for the pursuit, pursuit of owning property, Lippert said. There are many historical Cynthia Lippert, yes. There are many historical events, laws, decisions, and initiatives that reflected the unfortunate history of hate and discrimination. For all of these issues, we apologize and are remorseful. She went on the sites documented in The Color of Law a Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America that detailed how local governments allowed for covenants and deeds that restricted black home buyers from purchasing property in certain communities, as well as the widespread use of redlining. The apology noted how Article 34 of the National Association of Realtors' Code of Ethics, between 1924 and 1950, expressly promoted segregation by instructing realtors to avoid, quote, introducing into a neighborhood a character of property or occupancy, members of any race or nationality, or any individuals whose presence will clearly be detrimental to property values in that neighborhood, unquote. Dateline Redmond, Washington, the Lake Washington School District, is investigating after its website was hacked this week. Displaying racial slurs and other white nationalist references, then it went offline. The district is Washington's second largest, the fastest growing in King County. Lake Washington officials acknowledged and apologized for the hack in social media posts, said they first received problems around uh, or reports of a problem around four o'clock in the afternoon last Thursday. The district wrote the page that was presented as part of the hack. Included vile, disgusting, and disturbing language that is filled with hate, racism, and is completely unacceptable. Lake Washington School District does not in any way condone this type of language, and we are saddened that this action is internationally, or internationally, I'm sure they mean intentionally, trying to hurt people of certain races and cultures. We will get to the bottom of this hack, and in the meantime, we want to apologize to everyone who had to see this page, and we especially want to say our sincerest apologies to anyone met, who may have felt Personally impacted by this, we will continue to provi- provide updates as necessary. Warner Brothers' adaptation of Lynn Manuel Miranda's musical *In the Heights* has been promoted as a long overdue corrective of the underrepresentation of Latinos in Hollywood, and yet during the film's opening weekend, discussion trended online over the movie's failure to accurately represent its namesake neighborhood's Afro-Latino population. This from the Hollywood Reporter. A video from The Root went viral in which host and producer Felice Leon confronted the director, John Chu, and uh, some of the actors in the film over colorism in the film's casting choices. What would you say to folks who say that In the Heights privileges white passing and light-skinned Latinx people? Chu acknowledged it was a fair conversation to, had, to have. I hope that encourages more people to tell more stories and get out there and do it right. Miranda responded to the criticism. I hear that without sufficient dark-skinned Afro-Latino representation, the work feels extractive of the community we wanted so much to represent with pride and joy. I'm learning from the feedback. I thank you for raising it. I'm listening. I can hear the hurt and frustration. I... I hear that without sufficient dark-skinned Afro-Latino representation, the work feels extractive. I'm truly sorry. Lynn manuel Miranda. Deadline Antioch, California. The city of Antioch made a formal apology to the Asian-American Pacific Islander community this week. The mayor, Lar Thorpe, and city council members signed a resolution apologizing for Antioch's past racism against Chinese immigrants decades ago. We take a dose of humility by acknowledging our troubled past and seeking forgiveness. In 1876, residents of Antioch were decades ahead of Tulsa in driving out the Chinese and burning their homes down. Andy Lee, board president for the Contra Costa College District, said, I hope her ancestors can now feel at peace in heaven with a late but still necessary apology. City not only apologizes to early Chinese immigrants, council members commit to honoring Asians and Asian Americans from now on. Didn't say how. Survivors of alleged sexual abuse in the hands of a former University of Michigan athletics doctor called for an investigation by the state's attorney general at a news conference this week into school employees who may have known of the abuse and allegedly did nothing. Dr. Robert Anderson, who worked at the school, from 1966 to 2003, allegedly sexually assaulted hundreds of students. The University of Michigan Board of Regents apologized for Anderson's abuse after the investigation by an outside law firm. Anderson uh, is dead. The university report named some employees who received complaints of the abuse at the time they occurred and who allegedly failed to act. The university apologized for that, too. And President Joe Biden apologized uh, to CNN's chief White House correspondent, Caitlin Collins, after he lost his temper while speaking with her at the end of his post-summit press conference. Before departing Geneva on Air Force One, Biden walked over to a group of reporters and said he owed Collins an apology. I shouldn't have been such a wise guy with the last answer I gave. He also complained to the group of reporters that journalists never ask him Positive questions.
2: To be a good reporter, you got to be negative. You got to have a negative view of life, it seems to
0: me. Somebody who doesn't sound like him said. Collins said uh, she didn't need the apology, but she appreciated it. I appreciate that he did, she said. And that, ladies and gentlemen. Is the Apologies of the Week copyrighted feature of this broadcast? That's it for this edition of the show. Back next week, same time, same station. Or your time on your audio device of choice. And be just like canceling the Olympics if you had agreed to join me. Then, will you? All thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Holstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO in New Orleans. The email address for this program, the music playlists of the songs here and, here and your chance to get cars I talk t-shirts all at harryshearer.com and I'm on twitter at the harryshearer the show comes to you from century of progress productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the change is easy radio network so long from the Crescent city